Hi, listeners. We've been tackling this post-bro reality by zooming in on stories from abortion providers and activists all around the country. If you've appreciated this season and want to dive even deeper into the history and future of abortion access in this country, go check out Katie Couric's special series, Abortion, the Body Politic. It's a nuanced exploration of the forces that have politicized this deeply personal choice and the people on the front lines of the fight for reproductive rights. Listen to Abortion, the Body Politic, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jamia Wilson. And I'm Kate Kelly. And this is Ordinary Equality. This is something central to a woman's life, to her dignity. It's a decision that she must make for herself. From Kansas, Kentucky, and North Carolina, dedicated women marched. Abortion is fast becoming the new political fault line. Alabama's governor has signed the nation's strictest abortion ban into law. The Human Life Protection Act outlaws the procedure except when the mother's life is at risk. This bill is not about pro-life or the right to life. This bill is about control. We will not go back. And we, the people of the United States of America, documented or undocumented, are having abortions, legal or not. This court will never stop us. Kate, I have good news and bad news on the abortion front. Let's hear it. Here's the good news. There's an overarching and powerful entity that could be one piece of solving the puzzle to provide abortion care to folks in areas with extremely repressive bans. Here's the bad news. It's companies, corporations, capitalism. Uh, Okay, so we're doomed. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) Well, I do know that abortion is healthcare, and healthcare... In this country, we typically have to get through our employers. This is a very strange system that does not exist in other countries and goes back to World War II. Labor was really scarce and kind of like today, lots of companies were saying, we don't have any workers, we don't have any workers. So they were trying to attract women workers by offering healthcare benefits. There was also a law put in place that they couldn't increase wages. And so these health care benefits became a way to attract these scarce workers after World War II. And fast forward to today, our health care is connected to our employers. Also, we have a very outsized and ominous influence of corporations in our society, including donations to politicians, big rolling initiatives that benefit their bottom line. And this all comes on the heels of a Supreme Court case in 2010 called Citizens United, in which the Supreme Court decided that corporations and other groups could spend unlimited money on elections. That means corporations today have a direct and outsized impact on who governs in this country. And that's where we are today. Why companies who influence our elections are also responsible for our reproductive health care. Corporations are people in our country, but women aren't. So that's fun. Exactly. 
In light of Roe falling, a variety of big name companies stepped up to say they will work to ensure abortion access for their employees in some capacity. And yes, there are definitely some companies that have done better than others on that front. But a whole lot of companies have been silent when it comes to abortion, at least publicly. That silence might actually be the strategy. Right after the Dobbs decision was leaked, this PR firm called Zeno Group advised its clients to stay totally silent on their stances around abortion rights. And Zeno said it was out of a caution for alienating stakeholders because abortion is a, quote, textbook 50-50 issue. And when I say clients, I mean big multinational corporations like Coca-Cola, Netflix, Starbucks, big names with a huge reach. Yeah, that sounds like the exact opposite of corporate responsibility. When corporations take ownership over the impact they have on society, the environment, and the economy. The question is, what's that impact going to be? Zeno decided that for its giant, all-powerful corporate clients, silence was the best reaction. When you think about the sheer numbers of employees in this country, that would be people who would be able to be pregnant. Uh, It is outstanding because such a large part of the workforce would be influenced by this. And I see this as such a labor issue and such an issue that is related to economic justice. But luckily for all of us, There are people out there who are pushing companies to take a stance and support abortion access. And one of those people happens to be someone I know really well and adore. Her name is Susan McPherson. Her time working at an organization built on teaching others about corporate responsibility made her realize business can actually be a real game changer for progressive politics. It was the first time I saw business being a force for good. Because it was actually, it wasn't just about writing checks. It was the transfer of knowledge. And I thought to myself, there's something here. Susan is now the founder and CEO of McPherson Strategies, a communications company that helps organizations develop and amplify social impact initiatives. Over the years, Susan has noticed that corporate responsibility has gone from a nice extra thing to an essential part of business strategy. If we look back at, you know, 40, 50 years ago, it was very much two things. One, the vast majority of CEOs would use their power and privilege to be able to write checks to support causes that they cared about. Two, they would do the bare minimum to prevent any kind of regulation from the government in terms of carbon footprint, in terms of their supply chains, etc. What we think of today as corporate responsibility was very, very different then, okay? With the advent of the internet and transparency and social media, All of a sudden, we had a much greater window into what companies were doing. And in the last seven years, we've started to see companies speak up in much greater fashion about the issues that are mattering to today, to their employees, to their stakeholders, to all those that I just mentioned. And because of this vacuum created by the lack of trust in others, there has been more pressure put on the CEOs and the boards of companies to speak up. And today, when folks call out a company, you hear about it. Whether or not that puts a dent in business is a different story. For example, this past June, someone on Twitter was going around pointing out big companies that had turned their icons into a rainbow for pride, but had also donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to anti-LGBTQ organizations. 
Putting a logo up is the bare minimum, just an upfront statement that you're not a mustache twirling villain. It's not really asking that much. Climate change, marriage equality, Black Lives Matter. These are all topics that some companies have come out in support of or have started campaigns around and to varying degrees of success. Some of them have also co-opted these movements for profit. And in the middle of all this, Susan noticed something was missing. There was a, a huge vacuum when it came to women's reproductive rights. And that's really why Susan founded McPherson Strategies. In 2017, the National Abortion Rights Action League, or NARAL, approached Susan with a specific request. To help them learn how to communicate to the private sector. Not necessarily to do so for fundraising purposes, but how to be able to help CEOs understand that abortion and reproductive health care was actually a business issue. Susan's goal was to get companies to speak out about reproductive health and abortion. And even more importantly, she wanted to get companies to offer abortion care to employees. So McPherson Strategies partnered with organizations like NARAL and helped them create media plans that could target big name companies and educate CEOs about abortion. It was an uphill battle. Because at that time in 2017, if you polled, and we did, a large number of companies, they wouldn't even say the word abortion. We're trying to educate them the fact that this is also part of that world of paid leave, family leave, childcare, like contraception. And it is part of the embodiment of what women need to have to be successful professionally. Because this is all connected. This isn't just like a one-off, just abortion, right? If you're just going to cover abortion travel, that's just like a Band-Aid. Like, there's so many other things you need to be doing. Then in 2019, there was a sudden wave of new anti-abortion bills. 25 new abortion bans signed into law across the South and Midwest. Susan sees all these organizations she's worked with, NARAL, Planned Parenthood, the ACLU, taking different routes to contact the private sector. And she thinks... Hold on. We said, hey, you know what? We'll be a lot more powerful if we pool together. And that's how Don't Ban Equality was formed. Don't Ban Equality was an open letter. A full-page ad in the New York Times, which was signed by 180 CEOs in response to those 2019 abortion bans. It read, restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health, independence, and economic stability of our employees and customers. Bottom line, being anti-abortion is bad for business. It became a coalition, spearheaded by the Center for Reproductive Rights, NARAL, Planned Parenthood, and the ACLU. When a company decides to join the Don't Ban Equality Coalition, they're entering into sort of a community compact. When they sign, they don't just sign to say, we are gonna cover travel. They acknowledge that they are going to do what they can to stop funding politicians. They also say they are going to do everything they can to fund their gig and contractors and part-time workers. And they also say they are going to redirect or assess their philanthropic giving. And to give you an example, it took Levi's a year to sign. So this isn't something that companies take lightly. It's not just, you know, like, oh, we're just going to add our name. More CEOs and companies signed on over the next few years. Then in 2021, when Texas passed SB8, the heartbeat bill, things really heated up. 
And then the gang, as I like to call them, got back together. After that, we got a number of Texas companies to step up. But then starting in January of 2022, we kind of moved the coalition instead of being just, you know, signing a letter, instead to be a resource for companies large and small across the U.S. as we knew we would be living in a post-Roe world. Today, the coalition includes more than 700 companies. To be clear, Susan recognizes that in the end, a signature can only mean so much. There's a vetting process for companies to really be added to the list, but these types of initiatives can only be enforced in a good faith way. When they sign on the dotted line on these types of packs, it's not only because they care about people's reproductive lives and freedom, uh, it's also because they care about their bottom line and they want to be seen as a responsible company, a progressive company, and that impacts their brand and that impacts how many people want to buy their products. At the end of the day, it comes down to if people who buy these products, who invest in these companies are going to hold them accountable. Companies can get caught really fast in such a quick flow of information in our modern internet world. So from one day to the next, a company can get caught and get canceled. (laughs) And so they are hyper aware of that feedback in real time. And I find that very powerful and very interesting. Yeah. And Susan told us about one big example of this. Match Group, which is the company behind Tinder and Hinge, signed on to Don't Ban Equality and then got caught donating to the Republican Attorneys General Association, otherwise known as RAGA. Ugh, RAGA. And you know who's a member? The Mississippi Attorney General who argued in favor of the state's abortion law in the Dobbs case. That guy. Lord have mercy. (laughs) So this came out and Match actually ceased its donations to RAGA. Just to be clear, it also discontinued its donations to Democratic Attorneys General as well. So public outcry can work. It's also important to note that employees can have an impact on what their employers support. There used to be a time when companies didn't pay attention to their employees. And thanks to the great resignation and what we've lived through the pandemic, companies can't ignore their employees anymore. And employees, when they learn that their companies are funding these, are going to be angry. And guess what? They're either going to leave or they're going to make a ruckus. It's all connected. You can't have the politicians out here and the funding employees here and the covering travel here. It's all one big, I'll say Yiddish, Mishigash. (laughs) In the grand scheme of things, yeah. It's hard to feel like those consequences getting called out are impactful or meaningful, and employees can take on considerable risk for speaking out. Susan knows this isn't a perfect solution, but she's still pushing companies to do more. And in the past few years, she's watched things change. I'm not taking a victory lap by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think in some ways we've come a long way. That this is now in the boardroom conversation. CEOs, chief sustainability officers are talking about this. Who is in the seat holding the power that makes the decisions about what the key social responsibility pacts and covenants and compacts are does matter if your dignity and integrity and human rights are tied up in 
the decisions of the court and how they relate to how you build your family, who you build your family with, your actual existence as a full human being in this country, then you will be more moved on behalf of the other people within your organization to offer the full comprehensive suite of benefits for people in your community. There will be a direct sense of empathy and sympathy that will come by that in many cases. I can't say all, but that's just something that I've also been thinking about a lot when I think about places where I vote with my pocketbook. We'll be right back after this break. The corporate response to the attack on abortion rights and other forms of reproductive care matters a lot. But if you're wondering what you can do to help, we've got you. Because our sponsor, ActBlue, makes it easy to take action. ActBlue's online fundraising platform is seamless and secure, which is why they're trusted by millions of small-dollar donors who are powering the change they want to see. At wondermedianetwork.com donate, you can give directly to reproductive justice groups and abortion funds in just a few clicks. So head to wondermedianetwork.com donate to find reproductive justice groups that you can support today. That's wondermedianetwork.com slash donate. wondermedianetwork.com slash donate. So we've been talking a lot about companies coming forward as voices in the battle for abortion care and the importance of making that support known. But when it comes to actually covering abortions for employees, how does that work? What does it look like to make that decision? It can be a pretty radical act, but for one small business owner in Idaho, it just made sense. I'm Caitlin Koppel Massengill. I'm the founding partner at Full Swing Public Relations, which I started in 2019. Caitlin's company is based in Idaho, where she grew up, which is not exactly her top choice location. For me, Idaho hasn't felt like home for a long time, but it's really sad that you can't be who you are where you are. For example, our governor, Brad Little, always talks about wanting Idahoans to come home and come home to Idaho. And they clearly don't mean they want everybody coming home. Like, I don't know if Utah wants Kate Kelly back. I don't know that Idaho wants Caitlin Koppel here. <laughs> Caitlin grew up in a pretty conservative suburb of Boise, and the landscape of Idaho is generally super Republican. Caitlin's queer. She identifies as pretty liberal, and all of this, she's told us, has not made her Idaho's number one fan. She's been in the minority politically all her life. Idaho is a trigger law state or restricting state. The Idaho legislature passed a law in 2020 making nearly all abortions a felony. Exceptions are allowed for rape and incest and to save the pregnant person's life. It also allows civil lawsuits to be filed against medical providers who perform abortions after a fetal heartbeat is found, generally around six weeks. So it makes it pretty much impossible to seek an abortion in the state. When the Dobbs decision leaked, Caitlin knew she needed to put a contingency plan in place. She changed her health care policy to cover the cost of travel for an abortion for employees. It's really just like a paragraph saying if you need reproductive health care that is not offered in your state, Full Swing PR will pay for you to travel to get the health care that you need. On paper, it was simple, but it was kind of a protest, too. I feel like it's very important to be a disruptive force in Idaho's business community. If I'm going to live here, I'm going to try to make it better and be visible to folks who maybe haven't 
had exposure to people who are doing business differently and doing leadership differently. I just feel like I'm not going to be in a position of power as a small business owner or, you know, as a visible person who's also advising clients to lead with their values and to figure out ways that they can make the news in a way that is reflective of who they are and the change they want to see in the world without doing that myself. So far, Caitlin hasn't seen many other businesses in Idaho follow suit, but what she's doing is important for her employees, for her clients, and for the local business community. I just think it's good to force some of these conversations. I don't think that I am capable of changing the climate of Idaho necessarily, but I do want to show another example in hopes that it empowers other people to perhaps get some ovaries or get some huevos and maybe take some risks, you know? (laughs) Because ultimately, it's not like announcing this hurt my business. If anything, I think it speaks to the type of clients that we want to work with and it makes them want to work with us more because they know who we are and what we're about. And I think the same thing in terms of attracting talent, like there's no shortage of people who want to work for me. There's a huge spectrum of what services companies can and do offer employees. And that depends on a lot of factors. Where's the company located? What procedures do abortion laws there allow patients to undergo? How do you pay for all these bills? A lot of companies have announced that they will pay for up to $4,000 in travel expenses for people seeking abortion care, which is great. But a lot of the language around those travel expenses is confusing. For example, IKEA USA says they'll cover travel for medical procedures that are unavailable within a reasonable distance. A little vague. Meta's policy says it'll cover travel expenses to the extent permitted by law. Hmm, which law, some may ask? Well, depending on the state someone's traveling from, where they're traveling to, where the company was incorporated, all of these factors influence someone's ability to get covered for that care. That is, if they even qualify for health insurance from their employer. Often, part-time employees and gig workers are excluded, so they're definitely not getting those travel funds or other abortion care coverage. Then there's the nitty-gritty, wheel-grinding process of actually getting that care. Let's say your company will cover the travel costs for an abortion. But because abortion isn't available in your state, you now have to disclose your personal information to your employer. You have to tell them you're getting an abortion. Which is just not the point of covering abortion as healthcare. It's my healthcare. I shouldn't have to tell my employer the type of procedure I'm going in for especially when it could make for an uncomfortable situation in the office afterward. And so you also have to think about folks in situations where telling anyone that kind of information is potentially dangerous. People fleeing domestic violence situations who for one reason or another can't have others know they're getting an abortion or were at any time pregnant. And I mean, remember, you're having to disclose to your employer you're about to do something that's illegal in your state. It's hard, right? And may I just say, so American. Because if we had comprehensive health care and universal coverage in this country, all of the privacy issues that are caught up in all of this would be moot. This is a fundamental systemic flaw that we've had that needs to be addressed. And although I'm really glad that this support exists where the government is failing to provide for its people, it shouldn't have to be offered in that space. So even though it's a major support, asking companies to foot the bill for abortion access is really complicated. Susan McPherson saw this debate intensify over the course of her career, and she's lived it too. Susan once had to disclose her abortion to her employer. I was in a wonderful, fortunate situation that I told my boss. 
It was a Friday afternoon, and I think I met her for drinks. She just was like, do what you got to do. But, you know, vast majority of people, for one, don't feel safe, nor should they have to tell their superior. I mean, I just needed that extra, like, oh, I'm here for you kind of thing. But I realized that is a very, very rare occurrence. I also trusted her implicitly. I mean, I she never told anyone. Whew, that just made me take a deep breath because I'm like, you know, even how hard it is to tell that amazing person, like, what would it be like for people who, you know, worked for Donald Trump or like whomever, you know? The infrastructure to make these conversations easier on employees does not exist. Having an employer like Caitlin or Susan's boss, someone who is willing to provide that aid and who understands it helps. Caitlin is building her business model from the ground up, putting safeguards in place that she didn't have when she was an employee. I'm the parent of a five-year-old and my business partner in New York has a three-year-old and we have had paid parental leave as a policy from day one because we both had fairly shitty experiences with our own pregnancies while working. And I think we want to make sure that we don't replicate that for others. And so I think it's also the height of hypocrisy if your employer is silent or maybe anti-choice and then they also don't offer paid parental leave. Like, what the hell? It just feels like bodily autonomy is so basic. Like, why would it be any of my business as an employer, whether someone chooses to become a parent or not, or, you know, whether they choose to transition or not? I just think all of those things are none of the government's damn business. It's not my job. It's not the business community's job to, like, try to do right by people that can get pregnant. Like, it's the freaking Constitution's job to protect this basic right that was established for 50-plus years. Like, that to me is the government's job. It's not my job. So, Kate, what's your big takeaway from this episode? (sighs) We're doomed. (laughs) No. My big takeaway for this episode is that abortion is a community responsibility. And whether we like it or not, our employers play a big part in the healthcare infrastructure and in this community care. So because our government doesn't provide it and because our entire system is fundamentally broken, we have to rely on this community care in the interim until we can fix this. It's not a permanent solution. You know, we can't go fund me our way out of abortion. We can't have other outsiders pay for all abortions that will ever exist. It needs to be provided directly and for free to everyone. That's just the end goal. That's how it should be. That's how it is in other countries. Where we work is part of this web and part of this community. And corporations can no longer afford to pretend that they're not part of this community and and need to be part of the safety net. I love what you said about community care. I think it's so important. And I'm outraged that the support that I believe is our birthright that should be supported by our government to promote dignity, to promote our human rights, is being put in the hands of our employers and also being put in a place where it will only serve a subset of the population who works in a certain type of job for a certain number of hours with a certain kind of lifestyle. And when you think about many people who could get pregnant, a lot of them 
and what the statistics say about who needs to access abortion care because they already have other children that they're raising need to be in places where they might have a part-time job or a gig economy because they don't get state-supported childcare. So for me, this sort of important but transactional solution to an issue that needs transformation is really just even more emblematic of how we need to radically shift our thinking about what is the collective care? What is the community care? What does freedom really mean? What you're saying about the invisibilized people who are part of the workforce makes me think a lot about the reproductive justice framework and how if companies are having to engage now in, okay, how are we going to get abortion care to all these employees? Like, how are we going to get them the abortions we need? Because at the end of the day, it benefits us. If they don't have children they don't want, they can work harder. They can work longer. They can, you know, not be interrupted for nine months, etc. I think hopefully this will also open up to a bigger conversation, not only about how companies can keep us from having children that we don't want, but also supporting us in having the children that we do want. And how can the workplace be totally restructured to support people having children, including childcare, including healthcare, including flexible workplace, flexible hours, you know, restructuring a workplace where women and queer people are centered and our responsibilities are honored and our bodies are taken care of is a completely revolutionary conversation for this country. If we saw ourselves and our reproductive lives as a whole <laughs> and not just keeping us from having the babies we don't want, then I think the workplace itself would completely be revolutionized. I agree with you 100%. <laughs> And we'll end on revolution. <laughs> I like that. To the revolution, yes. <laughs> Next time on Ordinary Equality. We're always playing defense. We need to get ahead of some of these decisions. It's time for us to start enacting laws that would protect some of these rights and not wait for the Supreme Court to overrule prior cases and put these rights at risk. Ordinary Equality is a Wonder Media Network production. This episode was produced by Carmen Borca Carrillo. Our editor is Lindsay Cradwell. Our executive producer is Jenny Kaplan. Big thanks to our sponsor, Act Blue. 